if I uh, ask you this morning to tell me the first word that pops in your head when it comes to Christmas, you could probably give me a wide variety of words. But when it comes to Christmas, the word that I often think of is preparation. Preparation. We have to prepare for Christmas, don't we? I mean, if you really reflect on it, you think of all the, the prep time that the holidays take. We have to decide who am I going to spend Christmas with? Who's, who, what side of the family? Uh, are we going to be with his or her family this holiday? Are we going to have more than one uh, Christmas dinner? Are we hosting Christmas dinner? Uh, if so, how many rooms do we have available for people to stay in? Who's going to have to stay in the hotels? Who's going to have to do this? What, are we going to decorate? Or are we not going to decorate? What are we going to do? Christmas takes a lot of prep time, doesn't it? Like we have to, to prep and, and plan all this stuff. And uh, if you're type A, maybe you've been planning Christmas since, you know, last Christmas. And you've been thinking, okay, this is what's going to happen next holidays. We're going to do this and this and this. Um, you know, uh, my wife's family is very type A. And, you know, we've been planning for a while. Okay, who's drawing whose name? Uh, whose house is it going to be out? What time are we meeting? Uh, been planning that. And maybe uh, you're like me. You're a little uh, a procrastinator when it comes to the details. Maybe it's the, uh, oh man, Christmas is next week. We better start figuring this stuff out. Um, but it, it takes prep time, the holidays do. As I think about that word preparation, I can't help but think maybe what we need right now is a little preparation. Maybe what we need is to be prepared. And, and what I mean by that is when we need to be prepared, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts because the truth is, for so many of us, our hearts are not focused on the reason for the holidays. We're not focused on the reason for the season. We're not focused on what Christmas really means. And I can go on and on and on and talk about the commercial, or the, how this holidays become commercialized. Right? Like everything we see around us, all the, the ads, all the commercials, it's all about go and spend your money. Go and spend your money and, and buy gifts and, and it's all about, you know, materials. We've kind of commercialized the holiday and in doing so we've kind of forgot the reason why we celebrate. And maybe it's not even just that. Maybe it's not even the commercial. Maybe it's all the things that come with it. It's, it's busyness. It's chaos. It's stress. It's chaotic seasons. And it just feels like with everything that's going on around us, we just aren't in tune with the reason for the season. And so maybe what we need to do is we need to prepare our hearts as we prepare for the coming Messiah, as we prepare for what this holiday means. A.F. Wells once said, take Christ out of Christmas and December becomes the bleakest and most colorless month of the year. Without Christ, there's not really much reason to celebrate, and so we need to prepare our hearts. And so to do that, we're going to start a new series this morning called Among Us. And it's this idea that the God of the universe, the God who put everything in the motion, the God that created everything, has come and dwelled among us. Come and, or he came, took on flesh, and has lived with us. And so to talk about this and what this means, what it means for him to be among us, to come down among us and, and discuss why that's important, we're going to go to John chapter 1. And we're going to spend the next uh, several weeks in John chapter 1. And so this morning we're going to start in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. 
And while you're turning there, uh, to say that we are skeptical would be an understatement. It is. By nature, we just seem to be very skeptical. We question everything. If somebody tells you something, the first thought in your mind, oftentimes, if we're to be honest, is, are they really being honest about this? Maybe those of you who like to hunt and fish tell stories, and people are like, that just doesn't sound right. That would be like if I told you I went and did this. That wouldn't sound right, knowing me. We're skeptical people. As the old saying goes, you tell a bunch of people that there's a billion stars in the sky and they'll believe you, but if you tell them that the bench has wet paint, they'll touch it to make sure. We're skeptical. And there's a lot of skepticism when it comes to the Messiah. When it comes to Jesus, there's a lot of skeptics out there. There's a lot of people that question Jesus. Some say that Jesus never existed. He wasn't real. All he was was a, a creation of different religious myths. And uh, they put together this guy and called him Jesus. Not a lot of uh, scholars would take that view anymore. Uh, to take the view that Jesus never existed is pretty foolish. Uh, when you look through history, even uh, non-believers would point to a man named Jesus. So that is kind of a... a myth that people have started to stray away from. But then there's the idea that, well, maybe Jesus might have existed, but if he did exist, then he was nothing but a good guy and a teacher. He was a great teacher. He was a good guy, but that's all he was. Messiah, absolutely not. But if that's the case, if this Jesus who came from heaven to earth if he never truly existed, or if he did exist, and all he was was a good guy and a teacher, then that means absolutely nothing for us. But in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, John gives us a reminder that no, this, this Savior, this Messiah, he's not just anybody. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a teacher. No, he's important. And he's not just anybody. No, he is God. And so this morning, uh, John has, I think, three reminders in these first five verses that we need to think about and that we need to understand, especially when it comes to preparing our hearts for this Christmas season, or season, understanding who he is and what it means for him to be among us. It starts by knowing who he is. And so who is he? Well, John gives us the answer in these first five verses, and so we'll start with the first two. And these first two verses show us that in, or from the beginning, he was the Word. From the beginning, he was the Word. From the beginning, he was the Word. This is what the first two verses say. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So let's break this down a little bit because in these first two verses, there is a lot of stuff there in these first two verses. So we'll start right here in the beginning. In the beginning. What does this mean when John says in the beginning? Well, John is taking us all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This isn't the only time that John will mention this phrase in the beginning, though. No, he'll use it again in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So in the beginning, and a lot of people look at in the beginning and say, okay, well, obviously then, if there is a beginning, then God had to have a creator, right? That is a question that you hear so often. If there was an in the beginning, then who created God? Well, no one. God is eternal. From the very beginning, he was God. He was always there. He was never created. And so what does it mean by in the beginning? Well, in the beginning means from the beginning of creation. When things were put into motion and put into place, when you see in the beginning, it means the beginning of all things, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the earth, the people who are on it, the things that have taken shape. That is in the beginning. But God has always been there from the very beginning. He was not created. He is created. He is the one who is eternal from the very beginning. And so, he was always there. Do you know who else was always there? Well, it tells us, in the beginning was the word. The word, the logos in Greek. The word, the logos, means word. It means a, a speech. It means a message. It means a principle or a thought. In the beginning was the word. And the Word, as we know, in verse 14 of uh, John chapter 1, it tells us the Word became flesh. So the Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus Christ. And so from the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And this is a very interesting word, Logos, because a lot of people throughout history, a lot of scholars, a lot of uh, Greek philosophers and all these things have had different thoughts for the word Logos. And in his uh, commentary, The life of, Chronological Life of Christ, Mark Moore does some studying on this word logos, and he points out some pretty interesting things. Uh, for example, Plato and Socrates, they used the word logos, word, to refer to ideas that resided in the, the divine mind of a god. In other words, it was not merely a grammatical unit of human speech, but it was the very thoughts of God that somehow filtered down to man. And so Plato's and Socrates believed that the Logos, the Word, was these thoughts that drifted from God down to man. There was also a guy named Zeno in 300 BC. He was a leader of a group called the Stoics. And he viewed Logos not as just a divine idea, a divine thought, but a divine command as well. In other words, what this would mean is that the Logos would think and also uh, take an actual form in space and time. He would be a creative force. There was a Hebrew theologian once, a guy named Philo. He loved Greek philosophy, and uh, he took the Greek definition of logos and he applied it to the Old Testament. He viewed it as a bridge that would take place between God and the physical world. In other words, he was an active force from God. The logos was an active force from God that would cause a certain result, creation, healing, revelation, a lot of interesting stuff, but how does John use the word? Well, John uses the word logos as both incarnation of both wisdom of God and the active agent of God in Jesus Christ. So logos is both the wisdom of God and the active agent of God, which is Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, nothing is lost when logos is descended to earth. It does not just represent God's thoughts. He is God incarnate. It's not just thoughts that have come to us from God. No, he sent the Logos to us to come and take human form. He is incarnate, the mind of God, the active agent of God invading human history. 
So there's a lot there when it comes to in the beginning was the Word. And then it tells us a little more here, John does. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So from the very beginning, the Word, Jesus, was with God. So long before we were created, long before the world was created, right there with God was Jesus. In the beginning, He was eternal as well. This uh, phrase, with God, it's translated in the Greek uh, prose, and it would suggest that he was in company with or communion with. So from the very beginning, Jesus was in communion with. He was in company with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, before anything was even created, they were always there. Jesus actually talks about this a little bit in John six thirty-eight. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. John sixteen twenty-seven tells us, No, the Father himself loved you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but he also says next that the Word was God. And this is where things get a little bit tricky, right? This is where things, oftentimes, we try to think of this. What does this mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does this mean? Well, it means exactly that. He was God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. See, a lot of times... Different religious groups try to misinterpret this. The Jehovah's Witness actually translate this as uh, the word was a God. The problem with this is that this would be polytheism, and what that means is it's the belief in more than one God. And we know that there is not more than one God. We know there is one God. And what they try to do is they try to add a, this word a. It would be an indefinite article in the Greek. This doesn't show up in the Greek. The definite article in the Greek points to it being a specific object, a person, a place, or a thing. And so, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, for starters, he was equal to God in glory, power, and riches. He was equal with God because he was God. John chapter 17, verse 5, it tells us, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So before the world began, he shared in the glory with God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He shared in the riches of being with God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so he was equal with God in glory and power and riches. He accepted worship as God. Jesus accepted worship as God. In Matthew 16, verses 16 and 17, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Luke chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a simple man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. 
John chapter 20, 27 and 29, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He had no problems taking uh, worship as God. Well, he also had the ability to forgive sins. Mark 2, verse 10 but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so, if John were to say, hey, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then we could possibly say, John, you're just a lunatic, right? Like, if you are the only one who is making this claim, you, sir, are a lunatic to say that this man who came to earth was God at the very beginning. We can say, you're crazy, but here's the thing. He's not the only one to say that. He's not. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, There are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. And so John's not the only one to make this claim. And because others, several others, have made this claim, then we have to believe, because of this large number of people who write about this in Scripture, who have seen him, who did life with him, then I think the obvious thing is to say that John is correct in his statements that in the beginning he was with the or the word was with God and the word was God and we could even go on to mention all the I am statements if we want to that point to who he is and so he was in the beginning he was the word and he was with God and he is God he was with God in the very beginning long before the world was created he was there with God, eternal. I know that's a lot to unpack in those first two verses, but it is a good reminder that this God who came wasn't just an ordinary, regular man, wasn't just a good man, wasn't just a good teacher. No, he was there from the beginning. He was the Word. He was with God. He was God. What's the second thing that John would want us to remember? Well, in verse 3, I think the, the next thing we'd want us to remember is this. Through him, all things were created. Through him, all things were created. And this is what it says in verse 3. It says, Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And this is a little bit tricky, too, isn't it? When it comes to creation, we often just assume, well, it was just God the Father who created everything. He spoke, and everything was created. But here's the thing. When you read through Scripture, you see the Trinity having an important part to play in creation. And here it tells us that through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing would, that has been made would have been made. This is all created by Him. He is the vessel through which God created. Scripture tells us this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
Hebrews 1-2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And so Jesus is this vessel, this, uh, the God who created you know, God you know, gave out the word. Here is how creation will affect. Here is the word. And he spoke the word. And the word put everything into existence. A lot of people think that Psalm 33 verse 6 is a good example of how the Trinity plays a part in the creation. How they each play a part. Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath. This word breath in the Greek is often translated as spirit. And so, through, or, or, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath, the spirit of his mouth. The Trinity all plays a part. And so Jesus is not just anybody. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just somebody who came and lived and died. No, he is, first of all, he was with God. He was God. And he is creator. He is the vessel. He is the tool through which God the Father creates. And it's a good thing to tune our hearts onto not just a, our Lord and Savior who came and was with God and was God, but he was also creator. And so John continues, though, in verses 4 and 5, and the third point that I think you would want us to think about is this. He is the life that brings light. He is the life that brings light. And this is what it says in verses 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's break this down a little bit. It says, He is life. In him was life. This word life in the Greek, it's a word pronounced zoe. Z-O-E. And this word, it's this idea of a spiritual life. We have a physical life. We have a body with DNA. We have uh, you know, arms, legs, this physical life. But we also can have a spiritual life. Anytime you see the words eternal life in Scripture, it uses this word zoe, this spiritual life, an eternal spiritual life. And therefore, when we accept our Lord and Savior into our hearts, we receive this spiritual life. The life that is Jesus is dwelling within us when we give our lives to Him. We have this eternal life, this spiritual life. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, we think eternal life comes when we die and we go to heaven. But if you give your life to Him, that eternal life starts now. If you give your life to him, if you put your faith in him, you're trusting him, you give your life to him, that starts now. This eternal life, this spiritual life begins in us. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it tells us this, and, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. One other thing, this word Zoe also has been translated from time to time with this idea of being alive. We are being alive. We are being made alive. And so when we give our life to him, we receive this eternal life and we are being made alive right now. It's not some future thing. It is a now thing. John chapter 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
once you've given your life to him, sincerely, truly, honestly given your life to him, you notice a difference in your life. Those who have said, oh, I'm a believer, but never really believed, you can tell. You can tell a life that has been changed. And if, they've given, if you've given your life to him, you receive that eternal life. And it's not a life that can perish. He is life. But you see, this life, he tells us, it's not just life, but this life was also the light of all mankind. He is the life and the light. Do you ever stop and think about just how important light is? I don't think we often ever just appreciate how important light is. Light is super important, actually. Uh, light is one of the most important things we have. Light provides energy. Without light, this world would be cold and dark. We need light. Plants need light to survive. We need the energy that comes from light. And here's the thing, without light in our lives, in our spiritual life, we're in trouble. You see, light illuminates, right? Light exposes us to the things around us. You probably have stories, I think we all do, of trying to get up in the middle of the night and trying to find your way into another room only to stub your toe or uh, bang your leg on something or on something just like, ah, oh, I, I wish I would have turned on a light, a flight. Why do we need a light? So we avoid these things, don't we? That's why we need a light, because it illuminates the things around us. And we need the light that is Jesus in our life. John eight twelve. when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We need that light. John 3.21 reminds us, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that, they may, or so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. So what should our goal be? To walk in the light, to have that light, to have that light in our life. Why? Because we need that light to illuminate the world around us. We need that light to help us live the way we are supposed to live, to live according to Scripture. We need light because around us is so much darkness and that if we don't have the light, we're going to walk in that darkness and we are going to stumble and we are going to fall and life is going to be difficult. John 11.10 tells us, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. John chapter 12, 35, then Jesus told them this, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. 1 John 2.11 reminds us, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And we need the light because without the light, we are stuck walking in darkness and we stumble and we fall over and over and over again. We need the light. We need the life that comes from him. We need the light that comes from him. And here's the thing about this light and this darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, here's the thing this morning. If we turned off all the lights... Darkness still would not win, right? We have the Christmas trees that are lit up. We have the, the light on the TV. We have light around us. And so if we turned off the lights, it would not be pitch black. It would not be completely dark. The darkness would not overcome it. It's the same thing when you walk to another room at night and you turn on the flashlight and you move it around. You're not going to trip and fall if you have a flashlight in front of you. Why? Because the darkness cannot defeat the light. 
I can't. You see, here's the thing. Over and over and over and over again, the darkness is going to try as hard as it possibly can to overcome the light. Look at the world we live in right now and tell me that the darkness is not trying to overcome the light. It's all around us. Darkness trying to overtake the light. But guess what? The light cannot be taken down. Darkness cannot defeat the light. Try as hard as they may, the world cannot defeat the light. Try as hard as they may, our darkness will not overcome the light. You know, there was a time in history, though, when darkness thought it won. There was a point in history when the darkness thought, hey, we have figured it out. We have overcome the light. We have won. Luke 23, 44 and 46, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last, or his last in darkness thought, We have won. We have overcome. Uh, darkness reigns forever supreme. The light has been defeated. But guess what? That didn't happen. Luke 24, 6 and 7. He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He is the light, and the light cannot be overcome by darkness. Come what may, as hard as it may try, over and over and over again, the darkness in the world around us cannot overcome the light. It is tried and tried and tried, and it fails each and every time. And so this morning, He is the Word from the very beginning. He was with God. He was God. He is God from the very beginning. And He is Creator of all things. And He is, or he is life. And in that life is light. And the darkness tries over and over and over again. And it fails to overcome the light. And so, here we are. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, as we head towards Christmas this morning, we can start with confidence. We can start preparing our hearts with confidence that the little baby that was to be born in the manger, he wasn't just anybody. He wasn't just a, a good teacher. He wasn't just a good person. No, he was God. He is God. At the very beginning, he is the Word he was with God. He is God. He's creator. He's light and he is life. And he took on flesh, came to this earth to redeem us and bring us out of the darkness of our sin, our brokenness, and it has not overcome. And this morning, here's the thing. You can give your faith to him. You can put your faith in him. You can put your trust in him. You can give your life to him. The light of the world, the life of the world, God from the very beginning. Because he came and he took on flesh to redeem us, to bring us out of darkness. And maybe you're here this morning and you have been walking in darkness and you feel like it has been overcoming you. And here's the thing, you can give your life to the light and life of the world, the man who was God, who is God from the very beginning. And so maybe this morning you're here and you have a decision to make. You've never given your life to Him. You can do so this morning. Let the light into your life because He is life and we need that life. We need that light that comes from God. 
the creator of all things. And so this morning, you can write it on your Connect card. I'd love to talk with you. If you want to come up here and talk, I'd love to talk with you. Our elders would love to talk with you. Maybe this morning, you've been living in darkness, and maybe what you need to do is you just need to return to the light. Maybe you need to come before him and just lay these things at his feet and say, you know what, I've stumbled, I've made mistakes, I just need to lay these things at your feet. God, please forgive me of these things. Right where you're sitting, you can pray there. If you want to come pray with me, I'd love to pray with you. You can write it on your Connect cards. But here's the thing, as we start preparing our hearts for this holiday season, we can start with confidence knowing that he is God. He is creator. He is light. And he is life. This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.